Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Rainy Swansea. I think winter's officially arrived. So just going to bring some slides up. So today we are going to be completing our series on Jesus' stories, on the parables of Jesus. And today's verses we're going to look at are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. So I'll just read those out. You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. Now, when I was a little girl, I used to have an irrational fear of the dark. I'm sure many of us could relate to this. And when I would go to bed, I would have to sleep with a landing light on so that light would flood and illuminate my room. And I also had a bedside lamp. And when I'd fall asleep, my grandmother or mother would creep into my room and switch it off quietly. Then as I was getting older, before getting into bed, I would check under my bed, I would check in the wardrobe, and I would check in the huge airing cupboard which was in my room to make sure no one or nothing was lurking. Now when you're a child, I know I am a bit weird, sorry, did anybody else do that as a kid? Just check there's no monsters or anything like that in their room? Well, When you're a child, it's very difficult to explain some of these irrational fears that we can have. But at the time, fear is very, very real. And one thing I know for sure is that light dispels darkness. As soon as that light would go on, the things that I was fearful of would not there. I could see, I could find things. And it was such a comfort and a relief to be able to know that light was there. And it was just very comforting. And in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And when Jesus came to this earth, he was the light of the world, and he still is. When we give our lives to Jesus, he dispels the darkness, so to speak, in our own lives, and we are set upon a different course for living. We need not fear anymore. Do you know, one of the biggest fears that humans have is our departure from this world, the events leading up to it and the big event itself. But we need not fear anymore because we are assured that Jesus is with us and his peace is with us as we go through that. In Deuteronomy it says, Do not be afraid for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is echoed in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. And fear, as we know, is a very powerful human emotion. And it is also, or can also be, one of the main weapons that the enemy uses to torment us and to dictate feelings and behaviours to us. We listen to lies about who we are. Fear makes you think that the worst is going to happen. And it's like the enemy holds a magnifying glass up to us, making things appear loads larger than they actually are. Fears are real feelings which we all experience from time to time. Do you know there are two types of fear? There's good fear. For example, you wake up in the morning, you know you have an exam that day. You might be facing your driving test. You may have to do a presentation at uni or in work. You may be the best man at a wedding and you've got to get up and speak in front of loads of strangers or you've got to get up and preach. And then you wake up with this fear inside, this trepidation of the day and what it holds ahead. And we can get that sort of nervousness in our tummy to the point where it makes us feel quite 
still. But what is actually happening is our body is creating adrenaline. We've all got that adrenaline flowing from watching the rugby this morning and having that very exhilarating kid spot. And so our body is producing adrenaline. And what that adrenaline is doing is that it is kind of equipping us. It is making us more alert and it helps us to perform better. And so fear, in one way, is a good thing, because when you fear these things, your body kind of cooperates to help you get through these difficult and stressful situations. Or years ago, before we had supermarkets to go and buy our food nice and easily, unpack it and cook it and eat it, when man had to go and hunt and gather for his evening meal, he would be out hunting for meat or fish or whatever, and if there was a lion or a bear or a a predator of some kind hiding in the tree, and he clocked that beast, he would run as fast as he could because that fear would drive him to flee for his life. And that fear would create this adrenaline that would make him run the fastest he's ever run to save his life, to run for his life. And so fear can be a good thing. Then when you face those fears, it all kind of goes away. That fear dissipates. You get a relief, like a nice feeling. Oh, I'm glad that exam exam is over. I might not know the result yet, we'll have to wait and see. I'm glad that sport I was involved with, whether it was like playing rugby for Wales, you fear that you're going to win or not. And so all of these fears are kind of a good thing. Then you come down and fear dissipates. But then there is a different type of fear. And this in the Bible is called the spirit of fear. And in 2 Timothy it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So you must never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And so the spirit of fear intimidates us. It keeps us from being bold and courageous, and the enemy can use it to kind of freeze us from doing and saying lots of things, especially when it comes to talking about Jesus or sharing about our faith to other people what he has done in our lives and what he can do for others, that he loves people, that he has a great plan, that he wants to rescue people, that he wants people to be right with God, that he wants to have relationship with us and that he wants us with him forever. And sometimes we can feel afraid of what others will think of us. Sometimes we can feel afraid that we will lose out on opportunities or friendships. We can feel afraid of people's hostility or reactions to us. When I was a teenager, I used to look after my granddad, and visitors would come, neighbours, friends, etc. And they'd all, these old men in half Welsh and half English would always talk about the war. They'd talk about the state of the world and the war and the government, and they'd like to sit there and mourn and put the world's to rights and me as a young fervent enthusiastic naive sort of Christian would try and chip into these conversations to kind of bring some well God didn't intend the wars oh yes you know all the wars in the world and religion is start of all the worlds and I would really struggle to find an answer to come back at them or they would sort of mourn about the government and I would try and chirp up to say well you know God's not like that and you know Jesus wants you to be happy and he wants you to have you know peace in your life and not worry about these things and they would shut me down and shoot me out and come against me with these hostile answers and I would sit there as a young sort of fervent Christian thinking do you know what I'm not going to say anything anymore it's just easier to just not say anything at all rather than enter into these like hostile debates and then years later when we were starting the mission and we were going out in the streets of Swansea to tell people about the love of God that he loves them and has a plan for their life and if they were to die tonight are they a hundred percent sure that they would go straight to heaven 
And I used to feel like that little girl about what if they say something nasty or what if they come back with a hostile answer? What if I don't have the answers to their questions? What if they shoot me down? And so I used to go on the streets of Swansea and pair up with somebody really confident, like Jez or somebody, Helen, so that I wouldn't have to sort of carry all on my own. But you know, people, generally speaking, were kind and appreciative and didn't once experience those hostility remarks or those debates where I was put on the spot and couldn't find the answers for the worst I think I had was a lady saying, oh, no, thank you. That's very kind of you. I've just been to Iceland and I've got frozen goods in my bag and I must catch the bus. I must mustache. Or some people would just say, oh, no, thanks. That's nice for you, but I'm good. Thanks. Goodbye. And that was the worst it got. And so sometimes the fear from a, a young experience can fuel and freeze us and paralyze us, sort of spiritually speaking, in our later life. And so sometimes we can feel afraid that we will become a laughing stock among our peers or our work colleagues or our family members and so we just keep quiet we hide our light so to speak under a basket or a bushel because it's just easier that way but one of the keys to overcoming fear and finding the root of where it began and so for me my fear of the dark when I was a little girl was because I used to see snapshots of horror films so I, I was never tucked in bed at seven o'clock and so my grandparents or whatever might be watching a late night film downstairs and this is in the mid 70s and we only just had the TV and it was all in black and white and it was films like Dracula and Frankenstein and things like this when you're like three those films are terrifying now you've watched them and you just laugh because they're so like you know dated and pathetic or whatever anyway I used to go to bed and I used to have these images in my mind and that's why I was scared of the dark and fearful as a child and so sometimes we need to kind of find the root of where our fear comes from and so that's why we have to be so careful, really, isn't it, about how and what we expose the children to. For those of us who are parents and, you know, for all of us when children come to visit, to be careful about what's on TV and what they're listening to and what's on their phone and what access they've got. Because their minds are like cameras. Once they kind of see an image, it stores in their memory card and it gets played over and over again. Then the imagination kicks in and then fears of all kinds come in and sometimes those fears can live on and sort of get bigger and out of proportion in their life as they grow old. Uh. But once we find the root of our fears and we can really get alone with God and ask him to like help us to dispel the fear that maybe have grown in our lives and we can, you know, receive God's healing and sort of help where he dispels that fear in our lives and he can fill that sort of place with his peace and his love and ultimately his light. The light of God is our pathway to freedom. Now, so how do we, with all of our fears and our brokenness and our limitations and mess-ups as humans, shine for Jesus in this dark world? This is what these verses are about. Well, the good news is it's not about us. It's about him shining through us. He dwells in every believer, in every person who gives their lives to Jesus, says sorry for the things they've done wrong and sets out to live for him, can have peace and can have security and the knowledge that he is within them. He dwells within us. He lives in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so for every believer then is to let the light of him shine through our lives 
and not conceal it or hide it under a basket or a bushel. Paul puts it this way. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 to 7, he says, We don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach Jesus, the Lord. All we say about ourselves is that we are your servants because of what Jesus has done for us. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made us understand that the light is the brightness of the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. But this precious treasure, this light and power that now shines within us is held in perishable containers like clay jars, that is, in our weak bodies. So everyone can see that our glorious power is from God and is not our own. Love those verses. And so we are a bit like those clay jars, perishable, cracked, beaten up, broken, and yet he still shines through. Let Jesus shine through your brokenness. Let him shine through our pain and our weaknesses. Don't hide your faith under a basket. Let it shine for others to see the work that God is doing in our lives. Be genuine and real with people. Don't hide your struggles. Let them see that God is working deeply in and through your life. And this amazing, valuable message of Jesus and his plan of salvation has been entrusted to us mere mortals, us human, fallible, broken human beings. And Paul's focus was not on the perishable container, but on its precious contents. That is that God dwells in us. Though we are weak and sometimes fearful, God still uses us to spread the good news He gives us his power through his Holy Spirit to do his work. He is our power source and our responsibility is to let people see it and hear it. Now we've had some amazing stories lately, haven't we, during this series. One of the stories that really spoke to me was uh, when Matthew used the uh, lady as an illustration, Corey Ten Boom. Don't know if any of you have heard of her. Um, Maybe if you're Young, maybe it's you might not have heard. But I really recommend her book and research her on Google. She's a really inspiring lady. So Corrie, along with other family members, would rescue Jewish families from the Nazi Holocaust by hiding them in their home. But she was caught, and her and her family, and well, her and Betsy were sent to a concentration camp, which was a, a work workhouse, really, like a, a women's labour camp. But her and her sister, at the end of the hard day's slog, would hold worship services there in their sort of, um, you know, quarters by using a Bible that they had managed to smuggle in. Isn't that amazing? And so this lady and her sister shone their light, so to speak. They didn't hide it under a bushel or under a basket, even in their own difficulties and with the fearful situations that were surrounding them. They put their faith into action. And so what does Jesus mean by this? Well, William Barclay says, who is a commentator, he says that Christianity is something which is meant to be seen, not just in the church. A Christianity whose effects stop at the church door is not much use to anyone. It should be even more visible in the ordinary activities in the world in the way that we treat a shop assistant, in the way that we order a meal at a restaurant, 
in the way we play a game, fellow small group members, and in the way we drive and park our car, Julian and Adam and various other people who've made illustrations about their experiences on the roads of Swansea and various car parks around Christmas time in Forest Vach, for example. They're wonderful, gracious people, and people cut them up and uh, pinch their parking space. So if you see your tyres flattened in Forest Vach, Christmas time, you know who it is. <laughs> okay, and so he says a Christian should be just as much a Christian in the factory, the office, the schoolroom, the surgery, the golf course. Any golfers here? No? No golfers? Okay, I don't play golf. As they are in the church. So Jesus did not say, you are the light of the church. He said, you are the light of the world. And it's so encouraging to be part of a church family who really live this. We had the Alpha video just now, and it's so encouraging and exciting to see young people, teams from this church, setting up in two spots across our city, setting up an Alpha course, which is a huge opportunity for young people and students to come and explore life. And they are a group of people that really do need light especially in their sort of early years and in their early days of uni. And so that will help them find a faith and new friends and to keep them from making potentially some bad choices. Buttons, our little charity shop up there on the high street in Morriston with Helen and the team of people that she organises to run it as volunteers. That is like a beacon of light up there on that high street. It's not about the profits and the clothes necessarily, but it's about being a presence in the community. It's about shining the light of Jesus in and through our conversations, in and through our sort of way we are with people and the times we've you know, been able to offer to pray for people and invite people to events that the church are putting on and just gently sort of get to know people and just love them just like Jesus would. Little Rascals, which has been running now for 21 years next year, the little parent and toddler group that we run in Cornerstone in Penlan, which seeks to kind of uh, engage and, and uh, uh, serve the community. And all the experiences and the, all the events that we organise as a church is like us being that shining light on a hill that Jesus is shining in and through us as individuals and as a church corporately together. A light is a guide to make a way clear. Now, we regularly used to get power cuts, and it would be so dangerous to navigate one's way in a power cut. Often, people would drive and mount a curb or drive into trees, and so we are called in a way to make the way clear for people to find Jesus for themselves. And how do we do that? By being an example and communicating what we believe. And so Jesus uses this metaphor of light to the world to explain the importance of our lives for the furtherance of his love and his power to reach into those around us in expression of acts of service and love and kindness, but also of word and explanation. It's all very well for people seeing our light shine. Oh, they're nice people. They go to a great church and they do lots of good things and that's lovely. But how does that actually affect that person's relationship with God? Do they know that it's for them too? 
And the great thing is when we do stuff, they, we always like share the story of Jesus, whether it's to the kids or to the families. And so we kind of like bring people, but sometimes we don't have to have that pressure of sitting one-to-one and having this sort of conversation and explaining exactly about it and praying for them, etc. Sometimes that happens and that's great, but sometimes we might not be that comfortable doing those things. And so the word gets out and the message of Jesus is communicated and that's a wonderful thing. And hopefully, when we kind of shine our light and live before our friends and our family and our work colleagues, they will see something different in us and it will make them curious and it will make them interested. And you never know, they might explore Alpha off their own back. You might send them a good video on YouTube of a good talk that might get them thinking. Or you might invite them to church. Or they might turn up off their own back and that's great. But in my experience, which is quite limited, people need a little bit of nudging. They need a little nudge. They need a sort of one-to-one personal invitation. They need to have that conversation about, well, who is Jesus and why does he matter and why is he so important to you? Why do you go to church? So then we have the opportunity to actually communicate to that person what we believe and they are able to hopefully receive that as well. Offer to pray for people People are so grateful when you offer to pray for them. You know, if you're chatting to somebody in work or somebody in your family who's going through a difficult time, say to them, I'm going to pray about that for you. We believe in a God who answers prayer. I'm going to take it to my small group and share it with my friends. And we're going to really pray through that situation for you or invite them to Alpha. There's lots of ways that we can communicate our faith to those around us. And it really bothers me that uh, there are people in my own sphere of influence who don't have a relationship with God. It really bothers me. Does it bother you? It really bothers me. And it really bothers me that there are clients and friends and neighbours and family members who I have, some of them, known all my life. And they are not going to heaven yet. And some of them don't even know I'm a Christian. And that bothers me. And so these verses of Jesus, these two sentences from the very mouth of Jesus is so challenging, isn't it? It really challenges me. I really want God to use me and others to be able to explain and to be a witness and to be an active light to those around me. And it does take courage and it does take time. But wow, when a person responds to Jesus and he moves in their life, And they understand for the first time that they are rescued from a lost eternity, that they have a God who loves them in their lives now, and a relationship with him that lasts forever. That is like the best feeling in the world, whether we've been a part of that chink in the chain where we've just shone our light, invited them to something, or had a personal conversation with them, that is the best feeling of in the world. And... um, Just to finish, this week when I was preparing this talk and uh, trying to get some peace, an empty room in our house is not always possible. We have a busy household, which is great. So I was looking for a room so I could go into the room and shut the door and sort of just have some time to read and pray and contemplate. And somebody was making a cup of tea in the kitchen. Somebody was watching a film in the lounge. Um, Somebody was doing homework upstairs. So the only room was the bathroom or Isaac's room. So I thought, right, I'll go into Isaac's room because he was out doing something. And so I sat down and just began to ponder some of these things and I just started to feel really challenged in my own life about whether I'm actually shining at all for God in my life. And I 
I was sent Isaac as a carpenter, and I was looking out of the window, and on his windowsill was a spirit level, this spirit level, and it really caught my eye. And you know, sometimes an object catches your eye, it captures your imagination, and in a sense, it was like I heard the question in my spirit, what is your spirit level like at the moment? <laughs> and I felt really challenged, and I felt, you know, where am I at? Where is my spiritual gauge at the moment? You know, am I shining my light for Jesus a little bit, loads, or not at all? Am I hiding my light under a bushel? Do I back off? Do I avoid conversations because it's just easier that way? And so I was really challenged by looking at the spirit level. And so just to sort of sum up really today before we end our meeting, how do we affect those around us? Do we walk into a room and light up the room Or do we walk into the room, all guns blazing, cross, pouring out our stress, having a go at somebody, moaning and complaining and gossiping about that one in work and that one there? Or do we shine our light? Going back some years ago now, my my dad was in the last few days of his life and he was in a hospice. And so me and my sister were sort of around the bedside for 24-7. And it was a very spiritual time, but it was also obviously sad and quite a dark time. And so Adam would be in work and he'd come straight to the hospice to see how we were getting on. And when he walked into the room, it was as if the room itself took a big deep breath and let out a sigh. And his presence, that moral support, that love, that I'm here for you, literally was like the presence of God illuminating a dark situation. It was like he lit up the room. And I always remember that. And Adam is that kind of guy. He walks into a room. He's a steady guy. He walks closely with God. He has amazing integrity. And whenever he comes into a room, I always feel like he lights up the room with his sort of godliness and his just care and he just helps a situation that might be flapping about something kind of right let's 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 see the plan here let's state the facts and when I'm a bit ooh, he kind of levels me out just a little bit like that spirit level he kind of sits me on a shelf and levels me but how do we walk into a room in the office, in uni, in school, in our own homes, because that's where it can start. Shine your light for all to see. That's in our homes as well. (laughs) Not just out there when everybody can see us. It's in our homes as well. How do we affect those around us? Are we lighting up the room with the presence of Jesus in us, even in our brokenness and with our mess-ups and with our sort of earthly vessels that are a little bit chipped and cracked? And so to sum up then, when we walk into a room, are we shining for Jesus in this dark world? Because there are many dark places. Social media is a dark place, isn't it? Are we shining in our presence on social media? Or are we joining in with all the sort of rubbish that goes on? Are we shining in our workplace, in our uni, in our classroom, in our homes, with our friends, in the shop, in the supermarket? Are we shining? The other day, I went to put petrol in my car in Pentlegair petrol station, put £10 and eight pence in, and I drove around the roundabout. I was on my way to work rushing, and it was like, oh, I don't think I paid for that petrol. So I was like, oops, I better go back. And I had a red light on every station on the roundabout, so I was like, oh, no, the police are going to be after me in a minute. And so I sort of zoomed back. Well, I didn't zoom. I was going under 30, zooming a little bit. Back to the, to the 
garage and they were all in the office watching me on CCTV driving off in this bumblebee yellow car and I walked in I said oh I only live across the road you know me I've come to pay I forgot excuse me because I fill up in Asda and you don't have to get out of you know you don't have to go into a big booth you just pay it at the pump and so when we're used to that we just drive off not thinking and I thought gosh all the community now are going to think Shan's a thief <laughs> She's doing a run now with £10 of petrol and eight pence. So every time I go into the garage now, they laugh and smirk and see me come in and they go, oh, you're remembering to pay this time of you? <laughs> and so, you know, in our communities, are we that shining light uh, or are we not? And so just to finish off today, I'd like to ask the band up, if they may, please. And just to kind of, before we rush into the week ahead, just think and contemplate about these words of Jesus. Shine your light. You are a light to the world, to your world. You are like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand. Here's a stand. Here's a light. And so Jesus, when he saves us, he didn't whisk us off to heaven. He placed us on a lampstand to shine so what we're going to do is we're going to stand and we're going to sing just a final, um, in these final moments. And we have a basket of candles on each side of the stage. Don't worry, they are battery operated. And if they don't work, you can use your phones. And we're going to dim the lights and during this song just as a symbol of who you are. You are precious. You are important to God. He loves you and he wants you to shine for him in this world. And so come as you feel free, you don't have to, take a candle back to your seat and we'll turn the candles on together corporately as a church. We'll stand before God and we will say, Jesus, use me to be a light for you. Amen. Okay, why don't we dim the lights, come and get some candles, we'll sing and then we'll close. Thank you, Beth.